Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here and I have Tom with me. Tom, how come it seems like whenever you're here, Ed's not here and vice versa? Why can't we get you guys in the same room together? Listen, we're going to give Ed a pass this week. I heard he booked our, our boy Music Soul Child down there in Alabama, which is pretty cool. You know, since especially since he missed that podcast, I hope those two get to connect. Ed, man, finally showing our boy some respect. We love it. And we'll hopefully find out next week if uh, if music has any situations like I did with Common. Oh, no. His manager told me I wasn't allowed to acknowledge or wave at Common. What if Ed tried waving at music and music just, like, punched him? That wouldn't happen. I still can't <laughs> believe that's a real thing that happened. Are you serious? That really happened? Well, you did say your friend got a picture with Common like the next day, right? Yes, yes, which is crazy. My my friend was in Portland, believe it or not, where their next tour stop was, Common's tour, and bumped into Common somehow in the streets, and they took a picture. Although I will say, Common didn't really look like he was too anxious to take that picture. He didn't really pose or anything. He was just like holding a bag, didn't really move. It looked like my boy just ran up on him and just was like, picture! <laughs> well... <So. laughs> Common is a famous person, so people are going to attack him with photos. But, yep. Tom, before we get into the new music, do you have any fan shout-outs that you want to give out? Because I have a couple here. Let's hear your couple. Well, this kind of ties into the conversation we're about to have about your boy Darrell Tank Babs. Um, you know, we got into a little conversation with him. Nothing, nothing heated, I don't think. But it's interesting, Tom. I want to give a shout-out to all of our readers because I posted that conversation on our Facebook, and it was 50-50. Some, such as our boy John Betts, were like, Tank needs to do better. But you had a lot of supporters that are like, just let Tank do Tank. He's happy, and he's making the music that he wants to do. So, I mean, Tom, that's what R&B is about, right? It's about people just listening to the music. So if he has people listening to it, we can't be mad at that. He actually... It's it's a weird situation, and we're going to get Tank on here to talk more about it, but he convinced people to buy into what he's doing, especially the older crowd, and man, people are into it. We're, we haven't really crossed over. We still stuck to what we grew up on and the kind of the sound we like, but people seem to dig it. Yeah, and let's get into Tank right away, uh, since we've already started on it. He dropped his new single... I don't think you're ready. Tom, were you ready for this single? I had no idea it was even coming out. Okay. <laughs> well, now that you've heard it, your thoughts? I actually like it better than his previous few singles, if you can. You know, he kind of showed more of his vocal range, and uh, we we want to hear that from Tank. The one last thing I'll say about and I I hate that you even started this whole discussion, because we could have a whole podcast about Tank. And we'll have him on here soon, to, and we'll you know we'll all talk it out. But remember, it's easier to convince a fan base of your of your sound when you have a major label backing you, because they could really put money behind that, get it played over and over to the point where it's like, oh, is this this is actually pretty good, you know? A lot of artists don't have that chance. So for Tank, I'll still say we're one of Tank's biggest supporters. We always will be. But we just remember the sound he came out with when he first started throughout, you know, the first decade of his career, I'll say. So that's that's my final thoughts. I don't want to get too deep into this. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, 
uh, I'll, I guess I gotta explain what the tweet is about for those that don't follow us on social media. I pretty much tweeted out that I'm hoping one day Tank puts out a real sequel to Sex, Love, and Pain, which we can all say is a classic. Um, he did put out Sex, Love, and Pain too, but that was more so for marketing purposes because the album, it wasn't a real sequel. Um, so that was, that was my standpoint on it because I feel like for Tank, and like you said, Tom, we've been huge Tank supporters since the start of his career. Um, wait, hold up, the last couple hold, of up sing- hold up, hold up, hold up. Yep. Tank responded to you, right? And he's like, oh, you must have missed the second Sex, Love, and Pain or, this, you know, I was pissed actually. I didn't say anything, but <laughs> does Tank not realize that we've been, like, he didn't know who we were? Like every time he sees us, it's all love. You know, he says, what's up, daps us up. Come on, Tank. We've been supporting you for for over a decade now, man. You know who we are. Don't come at us like we missed your last album. Actually, you know what, Tom? I will say this. He knows who we are because he he didn't reply to anybody else but us. And he had a full-on conversation. So Tank knows who we are. And I think even that time when you interviewed him, he knew what he was going to go into. Because you did grill grill him with some pretty hard questions. Some (laughs) tough-hitting questions. Yeah. And he, he knew what was up, and you know what, to his credit, I think he rationalized it to to the best of his ability, but, you know, my whole point with that tweet wasn't to say that Tank's new music is trash. It's definitely not for me, but I was speaking more so to the, because, I mean, Tom, Sex, Love, and Pain, it had the sex, it had the love, which I think Tank has sort of covered on these new records, but where is the pain? I know we don't listen to yeah, sad but, songs anymore, but I need that emotional feeling. But listen, like if anyone who's listening to this podcast, you heard our few previous episodes, especially the one with Eric Roberson, who turned down major labels and decided to do his own thing. Tank, honestly, he's the opposite. He's making money. He's living his life. He's doing. He's being successful, but at the same time, he's he's had to compromise his original sound that he came out with. And hey, if that's what he wants to do. More power to him. He's 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 being successful with it, but at the same time, we we are there for those artists who kind of stick to their you know their core sound and what they came out with. That's what we love to hear, you know. And that that's my final point on this. I don't want to argue about this for a full podcast, Kyle. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question here because I think this is kind of interesting. It's like what Jay Z used to say, right? If you like my old music, buy my old albums. Tank said something similar to that in his reply to us. He said something along the lines of, I have a vast catalog with different types of music, so if you want a certain sound, I'm sure you'll find it in there. Is that a valid excuse? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess. <laughs> he's just, Listen, he's, that's more validation to him just doing him and making money and supporting his family. He's got mouths to feed, man. He's got kids. He's got a wife. So, hey, he's making a living just like we're making a living. This is true. And you know what? Tank does have a huge, unreleased, leaked uh, catalog on like YouTube. And he does have a lot of those traditional R&B songs on there. So guys, if you don't want to hear the Trap and B Tank and you want to go back to some of his old stuff, Tom, I'm going to throw a couple of titles here of some leaked records, unreleased records that came out a decade ago that we really love. Um, we have I Did It. You love that song, don't you? Oh, God. Yeah. We have uh, Personal Assistant. Injury Reserve and Heaven. So, those are those are some just to start out with. Are and cool Wanted on that? too. Wanted was supposed to be oh. the first single. 
You're right. Actually, you know what? If you just go on, you know I got so when you search up tank, you'll find all <laughs> that on there. Let's let's give our website a plug here, a, pl- a shameless plug. Um, Tom, can we talk about BJ the Chicago Kid really quickly? Oh man, his new album's out, right? His new album is out. Uh, kind of surprised me that it came out. I know we got the um, album 1123 probably like a week before it, it was supposed to come out, but we were all shocked by the release date because I don't think it's gotten a lot of buzz, eh? I mean, it's on Motown. Um, you know, Motown's kind of a weird label at this point, so there wasn't really a lot of run-up for it. I mean, he put out songs and did his thing. I mean, he's doing the best he can. He always hustles and grinds, but that's R&B these days, man. There's not really a lot of, you know, he doesn't have a single at radio, which is strange. They didn't push a single, so it's a weird time for R&B, man. It's, it's an uncomfortable time. Yeah, and... The, I, I heard the album, and listen, Tom, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to listen to it uh, before the end of the week, but the first two songs on there, the one with Anderson Pack and the one after it, which I think was written by Rico Love because I heard Turn the Lights Off Screen at the end of that song, those two songs are great. The rest of the album isn't bad, per se. It just kind of felt like, and I don't want to get in trouble because we, we already got in trouble with Tank, but it felt like filler music almost it was like it, yeah, it was but, just there let me explain it to you kyle here's the problem with bj i mean he's in his early 30s he just came out in the wrong generation like i feel like he's he's forced to, to kind of emulate a sound that it's not him and you can kind of tell like if you listen to his debut he had so many different styles on there and he's such a talented artist writer singer if he came out in the time like the 90s he could have made his own sound and what he wanted. And unfortunately, that's just where we're at these days. you got to kind of, to be relevant, copy what's popular. And I feel like he's stuck in that trap. We've seen other artists in that same that same realm. Yeah, and I don't know who BJ's fan base is. Like, I don't know if 90s R&B artists, I mean, some do, like, obviously we do. But his fan base has always seemed to be more of that hip-hop um side of things because of his collaborations with you know hip-hop artists does he fit into today's generation of music at all because i mean he has a song with offset on his album but it sounds really sounds weird yeah we heard i mean that was a single they put out but that's 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 a great example of him being kind of forced to do a certain sound in my opinion let's try to get him on here to kind of talk about it we'll see if we can get him to keep it real with us maybe he will but you know, he's a he's an interesting artist. You know, it's tough to really pinpoint him. Yeah, we'll get BJ on here, or I'll catch him at on his tour. He just announced his eleven twenty three tour starting. Kyle, in can I bring up so. can I bring up a point actually? Yep. The, we we talked about this on our uh group chat, me, you and Ed, how kinda you know, we talked about certain singles coming out not really making an impact because they're not sent to radio. I'm not gonna mention which song we're talking about. But then we were talking about how, you know, Monica just hit number one with commitment on the Urban AC charts. And I didn't even realize that. Unless I looked at the charts, I wouldn't have realized it was number one single. So what is your thoughts on this? Like people even pushing their songs to radio still not getting the attention they deserve. Listen, you've been reading my tweets with Boom Boom Caesar, and I wish you didn't mention <laughs> that because now Boom Boom Caesar, he's going to come for my throat. But uh, you're right on that. Boom, boom, you're right as well. Urban AC is in a weird place right now. I think radio just in general is in a weird place. I'm curious to see who still listens to the radio. 
Um, but it's interesting because Monica hadn't really been doing any promo for that single until it hit number one. And then I think just recently she was on Wendy Williams' show. So mm-hmm. I think once it hits number one is when they start pushing forward with the promotion of the single. And that wasn't what it used to be before. You know, before, you know, you would release the single and then go straight to promoting it. But I feel like they're trying to test the waters. So mm. maybe after a couple of weeks of promo, you'll then feel the impact of that number one single. Hmm. But like, but so so if you don't hit number one, like say if you only hit number five, does that is there a difference? You think? Um, I think. I mean, obviously, number one and number five, there will always be a difference, no matter. Oh, it depends. What are we measuring by, though? No, I mean, so if you if you spend all that money and you only hit number five, are you in the same boat as the person who didn't even push their single to radio? Like, no one would um, even notice a difference? Well, I'm sure some people will notice. I mean, I'm willing to bet whatever is number five on Urban AC right now, more people know about that song or have heard that song versus, I don't know, let's say that John B. and Don L. Jones single that came out, just because it's at least on the radio, so... If you listen to Urban AC, and I know they pl- play a lot of oldies, but just that s- slim chance that you do listen and that song plays, that's still exposure, I guess. Because really, unless you're really a, like a John B. or Donnell Jones fan, how are you finding that single? Okay, okay, okay. We were upset that Donnell and John B. didn't push that song to radio because we love that single. But Kyle, let me ask you, and the song is Understand If You Don't Know. It's one of our favorite songs this year in R&B. Kyle, how many views do you think that song has? On YouTube, if you had to guess. Um, I would say less than a million. Yeah, less than a million, but what do you, what would you pinpoint to that? I don't know, like 400,000? 607,000. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say, relatively speaking, that's 607,000 people who, you know, are aware that the song is out. That's, I mean... No one's going platinum anymore. We've seen that. But, like, that's just YouTube. We haven't counted all the other streaming services and all that. I mean, that's, that's, I'd say that's strong. Yeah. Um, what's a record that did well on, can you check that Nicole Buss single that came out? Because that was on, that was on Urban AC, right? So the video has 3.2 million and the lyric video has 2.2 million. So, I don't know. And the remix with Rick Ross has 109,000. Hmm. But the new single, single, which came out a week ago, has 17,000. Hmm. So, I mean, but it's... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that, that her, her debut was a song that was just sent straight to radio. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it all ties back to what I said, man. It's a weird time for R&B. It's... Such a weird time. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, Tom. You were telling me the other day that the turn-up era is over for R&B and we're into a new phase and new sounds. Well, got a couple of records here that I think we're turning up to. Uh, Your Girl Bonfire has a new song with Six Lack or Black, not to be confused with Digital Black from Playa and Hill. <laughs> Shout the out song to you said in Digital top- Black. Yeah, man. But Tom, I'm really disappointed. Harmony produced this, but why is she singing like this? She just had a number one hit with Automatic. Her EP was solid. 
And now she's going with a trendier sound. Why are you not sticking with what worked? I think that's just more proof that, you know, you can't... They send a young artist to Urban AC as a tester. They hit number one, put money behind it. Now they want to go for the big, you know, the big points, which is that hip-hop radio. So they change their sound again. I mean, that's just what it is to me. Yeah, but we'll see what happens with Bonfire. I think she has some potential. Also, I found out she's like five foot eleven, so that's kind of cool. I'll never forget this, man. I was uh, at a show in here in New York. I ran into Kedar Massenberg. He's the, um, you know, the founder of Neo Soul Music. And at the show that night, he was he was presenting a new R and B artist who um, he was trying to put out. This was like a few years ago. And I bumped into him and I said, you know, it's your new artist. So they come with that Neo Soul sound you made popular. And he said, nope, that sound is dead. We got, um, (laughs) he said, we got, we we got a song featuring, uh, what what was that annoying uh, rapper singer who sounded like a goat from New Jersey? A designer. No, not, not that guy. Fetty Wap. Yes, yes. He's like, we got that heat with Fetty Wap. That's what he said. So, I mean, <laughs> that's where did we're artist, at, Kyle. Did, did this artist ever come out? I've never heard from this artist again. No, oh, okay. Well. But, however, <laughs> however, he got Denzel Washington to come out to check out the artist. True story. I saw him there. Well, that's that counts for something. Uh, but yep. Tom's, <laughs> as we go back to this turn-up era, Life Jennings has a new song out with our boy Bobby V, and you're telling me Bobby V is rapping on this song? No, it's 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 rap singing, you know, like that. With what the younger artists are doing, I man, I can't hate on our boy Bobby V. He supports us so much, man. Whatever he feels like he needs to do, we got to support that, Kyle. Actually, I just gave him a shout out on uh, Twitter this morning, so, and he retweeted it, so. He knows there we you love go. him. We and love then, him. Uh, Mila also has a uh, trap song. It's a it's a definitely a turn up song. I wouldn't call it trap. I, it, we gotta check that one out further. I haven't had a chance to fully listen to it and digest it, but I hope Mila gets her album out, man. You know, Music Soul Child's putting that album out for her. We'll see what happens later this year. Yeah, because we love Mila from Seven Hundred Two, but it doesn't seem like her album, her solo album, has had an opportunity to really. You know, come out. So hopefully that happens soon. And then Tom, PJ Morton, his new single, Ready. Our boy Soul Child was pissed at this record because it was like auto-tuned and all of that. Can you confirm this? He, he was ripping it, but I didn't, I, I didn't really hear it that much. Maybe a slight use of auto-tune, but I thought it was fine. You know, that's our boy, PJ Morton. We got to get him on here, too. He's supposed to be the R&B savior at this point, man. This is absolutely true. And his single with JoJo is still doing well, so... Check that out. Um, Tom, some other artists for you to check out here. Uh, like you mentioned, Nicole Buss on Rock Nation. She has a new single out, another hip-hop-driven uh, or sampled record. She keeps it soulful. Um, mm-hmm. Justine Sky is now independent. Tom, yep. you followed Justine since the beginning of her career. I don't think she was supposed to go independent this early, was she? I mean, this early? When I first found not found her, but was introduced to her as an artist. It was probably like six years ago, man. So she was first signed to Atlantic and then somehow ended up on Republic Rock Nation. And it, I guess it just didn't work out. I don't know what happened, but this new song she has is pretty cool. She's actually pretty talented. It's just like she never 
found that hit that she needed, unfortunately. Yeah, and she has a huge following too, so hopefully things work out for her. And then Tom, Jesse Wu, we both received emails to post her music and what, what, what were they calling her? Media Sensation. Does that ever work out? When I hear media sensation, like if you're pitching me someone as media sensation, it immediately turns me off because that's like, why not say powerhouse vocalist? You know, like that's just for us, though, because we care about the music. But I guess that works. Like People love influencers and how many followers and who's on reality TV. But we really don't care. We just want to hear good music. Right, Kyle? Yeah, we do. And to be fair, Jesse Wu... Because uh, initially, when Tom saw Media Sensation, he turned it down right away. So I, but I was like, hold up, let's actually listen to the music, guys. Um, <laughs> so we both sat down and we listened to it, and Jesse does have some records on there. So There you go. Um, Tom, some more news for you here. Uh, Q Parker, didn't he announce a new label with E1? He signed with E1, Nashville, actually. And uh, that was pretty cool, because we, we talked about his... Um, album he's been working on called the bridge project earlier this year it's it, it fuses gospel and r&b and he's got some big names on there so he found the home to release that project it's pretty cool that he's able to do that e1 nashville for those who aren't familiar it's it's one of the biggest independent labels but the nashville branch is kind of i think um that's where tweet put her album out a few years ago and uh there was someone else i can't remember off the top of my head but it, we like we love E One, man. They always hook us up with interviews and whatever we need. So it's cool to see that happen. Selena Johnson just signed there a few months back too. Yep, and we're gonna get Brandy on the podcast one day. Hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out, man. I hope One Twelve gets it together. But this is kind of cool. Mike and Slim are set to put out an EP at some point. They put out the single, but I know they're working on an EP and. Looks like Duran and Q have moved forward with their careers as well. And, you know, they're pushing forward. So we wish everyone the best of luck. Yeah. Um, and then the last piece of news here, uh, not that you care, but Bryson Tiller dropped his new single and it clocks in at two minutes and nine seconds. Tom, how, how much effort do you think these artists put into this music if it's only two minutes long? Major labels must love this, man. No effort from the artists. No, you know... No money to be spent on it. The labels are making so much money off this stuff, man. And people have just adapted and moved on. No one cares about a bridge anymore. Are you kidding? Young kids don't even know what a bridge is. It's a sad time, man. Yeah. And you know what, Tom? When we get Tank on this podcast, I'm going to ask him how long it takes him to record one of those old songs that he did versus one of these new songs that he does. And if he <laughs> says that it's the same length of time, I'm going to call him a liar. I still think Tank is someone who puts time into it. I don't think he's just like one hour and done with the song. You know, I think he's actually putting, t like you can hear it in a new song. Come on. Yeah. I, I heard some harmonies on there and we don't hear yep. harmonies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Tank. We'll get him on here. But Tom, we're going to bring in our special guest for today. Um, it won't be Tank, unfortunately, but we have someone great so guys grab your popcorn and your soda and get ready and like i said every week we try to bring in someone special someone who has brought soul back and tom i think we have another person who has done just that man i'm so excited to introduce this week's guest um i always love to say this is a producer that never lets us down everything he puts out we love and um 
man, he's been doing it for so long, so consistent. We just, you know, we're so big on this guy. Love what he's doing. Welcome, Salam Remy, to the podcast. Yo, yo, what's up? Glad to be here. You know what I'm saying? And thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. We're always glad to support, man. And let me just say, like, I'm just so, I was telling you off the air, you know, your song Sex High that you recently put out with Fauntleroy, I think it's just a great example of you as a producer because, I don't know, for those who haven't heard the song, it, the production just has so many layers. It has so many feelings to it. It's not like the typical production you're going to get these days where it's, it's just simple, you know. It, like, I don't even know how you come up with these different textures and layers that bring feelings to the music. So can you talk about how you create a production like that? Um, well, it started with the writing process. We actually did that song maybe four years ago. I can't remember, four or five years ago. Um, when Follower came by my uh, studio in Miami, and he was like, yo, what you want to do? And I just started playing some chords and programmed a little beat. And he wrote the song to it, you know, pretty much did all the vocals. So at that time, he hit me like the next week, like, yo, I want to put it on SoundCloud. I was like, all right, let me work on it a little bit. He's like, I can put it up just like it is. And I made you a little something to it, but not much. But it was just basically synths and, you know, a couple of 808 toms and a little finger snap, and that's what it was. Um, and he put it out, and he got some good response on his SoundCloud when he was just putting a lot of music out. But then I was like, you know what, I want to take it and put it out. It's part of my Do It For The Culture 2 energy. And just, you know, music that I have that maybe many people didn't hear because it was only in a certain space. So mm-hmm. when I turned around, it started messing with it. You know, I just heard that I could take it a Boston over the way. I could take it a Stevie Wonder way. I can kind of have something in the middle. I had a couple other different flips on the track. It ain't hard to tell, feeling everything else. But after I had all these different approaches, I kind of wanted to figure out how I can make it keep growing because the way we originally had the song was kind of long anyway. <clears throat> and that's ultimately what I ended up stopping with. You know, I kind of just... So, okay, I'm going to start in this direction. But most of the time, I approach your record by coming up with different arrangements and then decide which one like, keeps the song special. And with this song, a bunch of them works. Right. And I think I want to bring up another great example from recent years that we were so impressed by, and that's to me is Leave It Smoking. I think it was a couple of years ago. It was one of our favorite songs that released that year. And just like I, like I, yeah, last year. And it's like, you know, she explained how, you know, she created a song with you and then you t- kind of took it back to the studio yourself and added a few things for it. And that's another song that has so many different textures and feels to it. It's not just so simple. Like, you can really, if you really pay attention to the production, it's, it's like, complicated, but it works so well. It's so, you know, it's so fresh, man. How do you come up with a song like that? Um, it's the same thing. I mean, honestly, I, I, I just listen to some type of music that I like that actually is a bit intense. You know, it's like Marvin Gaye is my favorite artist, so when you listen to an I Want You album and you hear the complexity of the chord changes and the passion and the moods of the chords, and he's now able to just float over it vocally, but then all the grooves are solid. So that's all it is. I mean, the Samir song was literally me just doing a key pass on the D50 of a melody and a snare, and then she wrote it to just basically that. A snare, a half a hi-hat, half a hi-hat, and some keys. But I knew that what I was playing was open enough to give me the feeling and the emotion that I wanted. 
which is just, you know, I make a lot of stuff for New York summertime, basically. Yeah. So that's why. <laughs> and I live in Miami, but I make music for the New York summertime. And when I started it, I was like, all right, cool, let's just make the song. And what I said to her was, don't worry, we'll make the song, and as long as it's emotional enough and you feel like the lyrics are there, I'll add a beat to it later so Grant will like it. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. with beautiful supplies, I had done a real simple track, and then she made the song to it, and I just kind of added a little beat to it. So that's all it was. And then you know, I kind of went through a couple grooves and kind of put it there, played a little bass on it. Actually, that record is really simple. I don't think there's more than eight tracks to it, but mm. the chords that are being played are the emotional ones. Right. Nice. Dope. Now, Salam, you've worked with a lot of different artists throughout your career um, in R&B, in hip-hop. And I love, like, the work that you do with Miguel, um, especially. Just talk about the creative process when you're working with an artist like Miguel, who's a little eclectic, who might not fit R&B to what it's traditionally known as. Like, what's that chemistry like? Um, It's pretty much the same. I mean, my thing is that I kind of just do me all the time. And, you know, in general, I try to do not... Typically, like if anything's trendy, then I'm not doing it. You know, at mm-hmm. times when I did things that became a trend, Here Comes a Hot Simple was the first number one pop record off an 80s disco classic. Anybody's like, just loop another one. I was like, nah, I got that off already. I did it with all the reggae records. And that's mm-hmm. the one that's popular now, then I'm not doing it anymore. So for me, I just kind of do whatever I really feel. And with Miguel, um, he just has a different approach, which is eclectic, but then also Miguel knows how to write structured songs. So even if it's a one-bar, two-bar loop, like, you know, a, or even a four-bar loop, or all I want is you, something that's simple and straightforward, he knows how to write, you know, a, a verse, a B section, a chorus, and a bridge over the same music. So being that he has the ability to do that, and then he has, a, you know, a, a really, um, I don't even know how to describe his voice. He has a tone that can be sultry to the ladies, he's able to now say stuff that would be a little crass, but it still comes off sounding like he's a sweet guy with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of that saying, the conversation and the, and the music is always where it is, but I'm just allowed to use instruments with Miguel, but still give it a little, you know, hey bob to it. But the thing is, I don't really think about it. It's just who I am. I'm a jazz, gospel, blues, you know, reggae-influenced musician, who grew up in the hip-hop generation, so anything I do is going to have a bit of a bop to it, even if I try not to. Right. Right. Now, Tom, I want to pass it to you, and we'll get to you in, in a sec, Salam, but, Tom, as you know, a lot of our readers, just R&B fans in general, we love the old-school stuff, and a lot of artists are now pushing towards that trendy sound like Salam is talking about. Um and, and and the thing I hate the most is when an artist does now release a traditional song, we like to use the term dated. Tom, you hate that word too, right? Dated? <laughs> yeah, I hate that word. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, good music is good music. I mean, I, I what I like now is I'm hearing a lot of artists who are coming with nostalgic feels, and it's kind of bringing back some of that sound. Like Nicole Buss just had a number one signal. Like Bonfire just had a number one single. Like we're get that's starting to come back a bit. I'm hoping it will um, boot out some of the more trendier stuff. But Salam, from your perspective, I'm curious to hear what you think because you know you put so much hard work into your craft, and then you know on the other side of things, you see some of these artists just 
you know, with this production that's, you know, takes five seconds to make on a computer. How do you, how do you, you know, does that affect you in any way? Do you take that personal? Does it hurt you in any way? No, I make music for me. I don't give a fuck if any of you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Realistically, that's the start. Like, I I, I make it for me, and then I go for me and whoever likes what I like. And then, you know, that's it's like if I'm cooking at my house, I'm not cooking for the whole world. I'm cooking for me. You know, whoever walks in and smells the food and wants to eat. So that's, right. that's your perspective. You know, I come from a particular place. And, you know, whoever likes that, then cool. More Taco Bell for you. But I also <laughs> does because I look at it and I understand it's an art and being simplistic. And sometimes I make music with one hand on purpose where I can do a whole track on the left hand or Ableton. You know, I've done stuff that I did on GarageBand on my phone and nobody knew it, but it's always about what you're going to do. It's always about the lyrics, about what emotion you're trying to bring forward. Um, so I'm not a elitist when it comes to music. And I'm also not somebody who's, chasing the trend. Like I said, I'm strictly making it for my age first. Right. I love that perspective. And we can really tell that you love it because you put out projects like For the Culture, the first edition you put out, and now the next one you're working, you're putting out now. I mean, just talk about, I mean, it just seems like, you know, to us as music lovers, we do this because we love it. I mean, we do, you know, I got told because we love R&B. We don't do it for a living. And it seems like you have the same perspective. You're just putting out music you gave it out for free for people to listen to, and we just love that. I'm in my hard drives, basically. You know, before the hard mm-hmm. drive dies, let me just share some of the ideas. <laughs> and that's right. really what it's time to, you know. And even that whole idea, somebody's like, but you love music, you want to do it all the time. I want to do it when I feel like it. <laughs> and, right. you know, do what I feel like it. You know, when sometimes when you're working for an artist, you know, if I'm being hired by a label and an artist to be their producer, then that's a service job. Like, I have to give the paying customer what they want and give the paying creative what they're asking me to kind of, you know, play to. So it's almost like I'm cooking food for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Your dad's paying for the wedding. Okay, it's your wedding. It's your dad's money. Mm -hmm. I'm working for you guys. But when I'm doing what I want to do, which my for the culture energy is, this is strictly whatever I feel like doing, whoever I want to work whatever voices I want to hear. And it's not about, you know, chase whoever has the most followers this week or who might be the biggest look or whatever else. That's cool, but this is just strictly because I want them to do it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not long. Love that, man. Keep it coming. And uh, yep. Kyle, Kyle, I want to hear you speak on the album, and then Salam, you could tell us about some of the backstory. But this is an album we both appreciate, Kyle. It was um, Jordan Sparks' Last album she put out, we both really liked that one, right? Yeah, I mean Jordan Sparks, super talented vocalist, and I, I gotta say, Salam, I was waiting for her to do a record like, like they don't give, because I knew she could do it vocally, and you know, even now with her music, it's a little more R and B than you know what she had done during her American Idol days. So, what was the vision you saw for Jordan Sparks when you were working with her? Um. Well, when I met her, she was um, doing Tony Sparkle in the movie, and I was uh, hired to score it. So our first thing that we really did together was Chocolate Brown Eyes, which Mm. I did writing it for Sparkle. The music that's in Chocolate Brown Eyes is the love theme I wrote for Sparkle, that every time her 
and Derek Luke will see each other or get a moment together. You will hear that. Dun, 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 dun. So essentially, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that theme, and then we're going to make a song out of it. And then that's a potential additional soundtrack piece or something else that can work and support. So that's what it was. But when she started singing, and then I kind of pushed her to write where she hadn't really taken the front seat of writing before. And she was a little scared at first, just as far as me saying, there's nothing but the guitar, but I want you to say everything you want to feel. But, I, you know, I heard parts of her voice that I hadn't noticed before. Um, and when I heard those things, I was like, wow, this is interesting. So eventually, you know, when I was working at Sony and her time at RCA wasn't going the way that she or they planned, uh, it came up as an opportunity for me to be able to work on a project with her. And Ben and I had already um, got acclimated with her. We were friends. I was like, all right, you know what? Let's get down and do this record. So I became the point person to kind of bring a different side out of her, which, um, you know, creatively, I think we got to a lot of different places. It's just for the audience to catch up. But at the end of the day, anyone who now comes across that album at any given point is there. But with that song, they don't give him per in particular. Um, there was a point where Babyface had a back room in his studio. And Jeff Burroughs was working with him at the time. He's like, hey, come by. Maybe we just write some stuff or use this room because he has this other room using here. He never uses it. So I was like, all right, cool. So I went by and we started working on something. And I was telling him how much I loved his song, Love Solid, with Karen White. And mm-hmm. that's one of my Babyface records. But it has, once again, the blend of melody, um, some passion, some tension in the chords, but also very sweet, but also just the right amount of groove, the way that the mm-hmm. drums and the bass lock on it. So when I actually got into it, I was like, yo, I really love the song, Love Song. And he's like, wow, I forgot about that song. Like, I never actually perform it. Like, I forgot. Like, I just think of so many songs all the time, but people never say that song to me. So then when I started working on it and I started playing some chords, um, that he found interesting and then kind of started messing with the basis of the beat. Then he heard saw what I was doing and then really started playing the baby face style. And we laid out the chord thing and he just started singing basis of they don't give. So a lot of it was kind of mumble and freestyle-ish, but the basic idea was there. And I had it for a couple of years and I tried to do it with a couple of different artists and it didn't pan out. And then when I said, hey, I want to do this with Jordan, you know, we were able to get in the room and get it done. Oh, oh. Now, Salam, I love the work that you actually uh, did with Neo. And what I love about it is it's 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 sort of like a happy medium where it doesn't entirely sound like a Neo record. It doesn't entirely sound like a Salam Remy record. It's just something that both of you guys worked on together. And I know a lot of collaboration is, you know, you pushing the artist to get out of their comfort zone to do something special. But the other part of it is an artist pushing you out of your comfort zone to do something special. So um, do you have a story on an artist that may have pushed you out of that comfort zone and you guys created something even better than what you would have expected? Um, That's our story every day, really. Like, my whole idea is that, you know, if I get up in the morning and I go to work, I don't know what's, I don't want to know what's going to happen by the time I go to sleep. So it's kind of like the balance of one and two. If I can actually get you know, something done today that actually makes me go, wow, that was a push. I didn't think of that happening that way. That's what it is. And that's not something I can write on paper or or say, hey, I want to do something just like this. I wake up, I get some inspiration. 
I meet somebody, we have a conversation. You know, whatever they say to me may make me think about playing something different than I would play, and whatever I say to them might make them write about something different. And that's where we get the forward movement. It's a lyrical revolution makes a musical revolution, both at the right. same time. Cool, man. Now, you know, it's Salam, it's 2019 now. You know, it's clear that you're still at the top of your game, still re- releasing some amazing stuff. Sometimes people forget, like, you, you've been at this for so long. You've been at this for decades and had success for so long. It's it's almost unprecedented that, you know, many of the producers who, you know, we looked up to in the 90s, you know, are no longer here, and you're still doing that at such a high level. But what I really want to know is, <clears throat> you know, we know your your history all the way back, you know, to the Fugees and even before that. But where did you initially get your start as a producer? How did you get your first opportunity? My dad was a producer. Um, mm. So he was doing stuff, you know, arranging and then producing from China Gardner, you know, the When You Touch Me, and, you know, Dougie Fresh's first time produced the Fat Boys and a bunch of different things. I was producing Curtis Blow. And then I actually got an opportunity to help him with the Curtis Blow production. And then I came up with a concept that they ended up using for a record. So, you know, between 86 and 88, I kind of helped him with a couple of things on that level. But then I was also producing my own demos. Um, and, you know, I had drum machines since, like, 83, 84, 85. So I was always, like, starting to do stuff. But I think I was probably getting close to it. And uh, 30 years ago, in 1989, in June, I graduated high school that I moved in with my dad. And, you know, his place was a studio where Classic Concepts was doing all the videos. And, you know, I was pretty much in the middle of hip-hop. He was managing to fill out. Uh, Phil Master Flex was running around with Chuck Chop, so it was me, Flex, and Chuck most days going to whatever hip-hop functions were going on. Um, and I was pretty much in it while I was in school for business management. So my business mom was getting fed, and my ability to go to the studio and knock out something that might play on the radio or in the club was actually, you know, steps away from me. So the opportunity was there, but it was about me applying myself and being able to have the material. And that's right. what I was able to do. You know, I think something most impressive about your career is you've had so much success in the 90s, 2000s, but then even with your own artists in recent years with a Mac Wilds, you know, in the mid-2000s, how do you relate to a younger artist or get them to see your vision? Because a lot of the younger generation doesn't always see that vision. You know, they kind of look at things a little bit differently than artists did in the 90s. How do you do that? Um, I don't know. My dad was always like that. You know, my dad was my age. You know, he would hang out with rappers that I wouldn't speak to. I was like, what are you doing with this guy? What are you doing? Like, he was just always there. You know, I have a youthful spirit at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, I think it's also back down to just culture. When something that's right, it's right. When you like something, you like something. You know, I was in the 90s listening to Sunday music. Now they're in this era of listening to 90s music. So it's just all one big circle, you know, and I don't think I have issues relating to younger artists. I see what they're doing. I also see what they can do to step it forward. Um, But, you know, it just depends on if we have a common goal. If we have a common goal, we figure it out. All right. So, so, um, uh, one thing that that we always discuss is, you know, and and something everyone always says is that music is cyclical, that something that disappears for a while will eventually come back. And when it comes to R&B in general, I mean, we've seen LMA do it with Boot Up, but 
is it realistic to think that like 90s R&B can make a return or is the expectation that um, R&B will continue to, to evolve into, into something? Because, um, I mean, we're all waiting for R&B to return to what it was, but is that even realistic? I think it's different. I mean, you know, Mary said it to me 10 years ago. She was like, you know, they're in the 80s right now. Well, guess what? Next thing they're going to be in the 90s, and we right here, we already know what's going You know, the biggest thing for me, even when I was doing, you know, I guess the Matt Wilds album was me reliving a certain aspect of 90s music. Um, in certain ways, all the way to the song Love in the 90s and Camouflage. You know what I'm saying? That was all stuff that I did intentionally to feel like that era. But when it comes down to it, um, I, I can't, I mean, some of the physical stuff is 90s. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in, in the aspect and the approach to LMA is that I think a lot of people might feel 90s, but at the end of the day, it's about does it feel good. I think there's still other levels vocally for us to take. What we have right now is a lot of people who are able to musically do it, but they're not necessarily vocally taking you to Jodeci harmonies. Well, they're not vocally taking you certain ways. They're starting to, but they're kind of laying on the machines more than actually having that passion and that pain in their voice and actually giving you that heart. You know, Jasmine Sullivan was able to do it, but not everybody got that fire in their voice. And, you know, that's one of the things that drives me, you know, because at the end of the day, 90s R&B was just influenced by gospel a little bit more. The Faith Evans vocals, the Jodeci vocals, you know, part of what Mary was doing, that was influenced by Anita Baker flashback. You were just hearing more of core black culture coming to the front in the R&B music, as it's always been. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was James Brown or Ray Charles or Rita Franklin or whatever else. So that's what it is. You know, you're just going to feel a little blasted when you listen to it. Well, I mean, Kyle, you often tell me there's something you particularly feel is missing in R&B these days. What's that? Oh, man. R&B songs nowadays are like two minutes and ten seconds long. They lack a bridge. I mean, it's pretty much every R&B song nowadays. So, Salam, I'd like to ask, are we old school in thinking that a song should be three minutes and 30 seconds with a bridge? Or do we really need to just get back to that that format? Because I'm telling you, I'm missing bridges in music. Uh, it's life. You know, sometimes I make a five-minute record and that was the thing. It's like, Sex. It's not about how long it is. It's was it good or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, man. I'm afraid too. Some people have a great two-minute song every day, and if it works for them, good for them. Yeah, you're right about that. All right, Salam. We're we're almost out of time. Um, just a couple more quick things I wanted to touch on. I got to bring up this one song. It might be my favorite Salam Mermaid production of all time. Now, man, I grew up on, on 90s hip-hop, but I kind of lost the love for hip-hop in the 2000s. It just wasn't the same to me. But my wife put me on to the song. You know, I, I was a big Nas fan. My wife put me on the Cherry Wine with Amy Winehouse. Um, and, man, that's one of my favorite songs now. Ever. It just makes me feel good when I hear it, man. It just just t- take us to that song and the creation of it. Um. The basis of it, well, actually, that version of it, because Amy and I did it a few different ways, but the original, like, the energy of what you hear there, that's just the energy I was on during her Frank album, whereas and I wanted her first album to not be neo-soul, because it could have sounded that way, 
at you know 2003, I wanted it to be more jazz and more hip hop. So I intentionally made the drums, you know, I chopped up the Lou Donaldson energy the same way that, you know, had the bouncing similar to what Diamond did with Punk Jump Up. But at the same time, I had some guitar chords. She was actually playing guitar on it that went, you know, a little bit more in the jazz lane. So it really would feel like the combination of both. And then, you know, she was singing that chorus over it and kind of scatting. And then the way I kind of kept the production was just wide open. You know, and that is a cousin to Find My Love, which I put out this year. It's all that Frank era energy stuff where we were just in the zone. Right. Dope. Nice. Love that song. And so, I got one for you. This is one of my favorites by Jasmine Sullivan, Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Because that record is, that song's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was probably our first session that we did when she signed to J Records. Um, And she had the idea. And she might have even done the song before, I think. But she started singing the Lions, Tigers, and Bears, and then I pretty much put up a click track and had her sing a little bit of it. Then I built up the track around what she was singing, and then she finished the song to the basis of the track. But, you know, even with that, when I first was working with Jasmine, people were like, oh, he's working with Jasmine? What beat is he going to use? Like, they were expecting me to put Mm -hmm. some drums from something they knew already. And I intentionally made records with no drums, Mm. Just to be a bastard about it, and <laughs> the the songs and the strength of the songs and what she was saying was the drums. Bust your windows and last Tigers and Bears have no drums intentionally, because what she's saying is stronger than any beat could be. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm out uh, going mm. to Prague and recording orchestras, so I actually wrote out an uh, orchestral score. I was able to fit into the songs as well. So I just took it to a whole nother Disney level where wow. get that, the bridge on my Tigers and Bears pushes you all the way over the edge. That's dope, man. Love when that orchestra is incorporated into music. It's so rare nowadays. Even live instrumentation is rare nowadays. So, yeah. so um, w- one last thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm just digging through your whole, you know, discography here, just looking at every single artist you've worked with. But what I really want to know is, has there ever been a collaboration you've had maybe with a, a major artist and unfortunately it didn't come out or some something of that sort, you know, that you feel like the world really needed to hear? Um, All the time, to be honest. Yeah. I think that um, all the time, I mean, you mentioned Neo. Like, me and Neo probably got 10 songs. Um, mm. This is always stuff that I come up with, but I think part of where I'm at now in my career is just that I'm finding different ways to release all these different ideas. And you know, sometimes, you know, even a lot of what I did with the one in the chamber album, like Corn Bailey Ray hadn't heard that song since the day we really recorded it. Maybe heard it once, but then when she heard it years later, she's like, wow, this sounds really strong. You know, so I think it's just a lot of that. You know, I can get with different artists now that are young ago. I can play somebody something we did years ago, and if it still sounds fresh, it sounds fresh. You know, Sex High, as you're now getting into it, you know, I've had that different versions of that arrangement over the last two or three years, but the song was written, I think, four or five years ago. So I think it's just, it's always something there, but um, I can't pinpoint one thing or another. 
it's just always something. You know? it's, it's great to be able to have the opportunity to have even created things, but it's great to be able to look back at them and see that they still sound fresh. Right. Right. Cool. And Salam, one of my last questions for you, being that you've been in the industry for so long, and you've mentioned all these tracks that may have should have come out or could have uh, have been released, but how do you kind of deal with the label politics nowadays? Because, like, for me, a lot of my favorite producers, um, they're not even on labels anymore. They're, they're not on any of the albums that are coming out for R&B. So how do you maneuver around the industry and the label politics, and does it ever discourage you when a record that you strongly believe in doesn't make an album or it doesn't come out as a single? Um, I'm off it. I mean, you know, after my last five years running my own label at Sony, part of me going and running my label is because if I said the record's coming out, it's coming out, damn it. So, <laughs> you know, whether it was the Liam Bailey album or the Mac Wilds or whatever, I put it out how I wanted to put it out, when I wanted to put it out, and promoted it how I wanted to do it, and that's what it was. Um, and then, you know, also if the audience took to it or they didn't take to it, that was... I had to also take that on the chin. And even when I put out, you know, the, the Do It For The Culture as 50 songs, that was like, wow, let me see if these people are going to take to these songs. And they took to come through and show a lot. You know, there were some other songs there, maybe they didn't hear Camouflage, maybe they didn't feel the same way I felt about it. But at the same time, you know, I also learned, like, look, people are going to like what they like and they're going to rock with it for as long as they rock with it. To the point where Miguel was able to put it out a year later and it still rocked for another year and a half after that. And it still, you know, does half a million streams a month, which people that just like that song, that's just what they want to do. So I think in general, the um, aspects of me continuing to make music aren't based on label politics. And now in the digital age, I can put out what I want. So as I'm moving with it now, rather than putting out 50 songs at one time, I'm going to just keep coming back every week for something different. And it's going to touch every span of music for whatever I feel like it until I don't feel like it anymore. Right. (laughs) Nice. I don't really worry about politics and, you know, the science of label. Okay, cool. But, you know, I'm at this point, I can't be hired. You know, there's no price for me. It's whether or not I feel like doing it. Wow. It's amazing, man. But hey, man, we're we're pretty much out of time. Is there anything you'd like to leave, uh, add on? Uh, yeah, everybody just do what you want to do. And, you know, we have digital ways to release music now. Empty your hard drives, man. That's not doing nothing for nobody. Let the world hear whatever you have and, you know, put the ego aside. Let the music live. I love that, man. And I, I, Hopefully more artists will definitely jump on that. We'd love to hear all the music. And, hey, Salam, let me just thank you one more time. You know, we, we really mean this when we say we really appreciate what you do. We really have admiration for your production and your talents and all you've given us over the years. Thank you, and thank you for coming with us. Do it for the culture, man. We love hearing the music. We will continue to to support you, man. Just just keep it going. All right, cool. A lot more coming this summer. That's dope, man. All right, Salam, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Take care. And guys, that was Salam Remy on the podcast. Tom, he's a laid-back dude. He knows his music, but man, laid-back. I love that he was just talking about artists should put out their music that they have on their hard drives and stuff. Like, that's what fans want to hear. Like, why not? Just put it out. We'll we'll enjoy it. We'll appreciate it, right? 
Yep. Absolutely. Or someone like DJ Stolen will go into your computer and release uh. it all <laughs> on like <laughs> Shout out to DJ Stolen as well if you guys don't know who that is. He was a German hacker from like 2009 who went into like artists emails and like leaked everything from the last i heard tom he's uh he's banned from using a computer now because uh he's suffered from computer addiction oh my god (laughs) kyle do we have time for a play please we have a couple of play please that we can talk about here um can i do one first oh okay before we do that tom can we go into our soul back track of the day if you have one in mind then feel free I do, and this one is kind of interesting because this song is being threatened to lose its record as the longest-charting oh. number one record on Billboard, uh, thanks to Little Nas X and his song Old Town Road. Do you hear that song everywhere, Tom? I actually have never even heard that song except for once, believe it or not. Wow. It's the biggest I country really... song in the world. <laughs> it's it's weird. I'm not really out out and about where they play music like that anymore, so it's weird. Thank Might goodness my wife bed. is not playing that around the house. <laughs> that would, that right. would be bad. Might be for the best. Um, but the sole back track, the track of the day is Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. One sweet do- one sweet day. I think it's celebrated like 16 weeks at number one. And Tom, I'm gonna make a take right now that might piss everyone off. Kyle, come. Kyle, that's one of the saddest songs of all time. I can't even listen to that song. That song is so overrated. That song only hit no. number one. Come on, listen, that song no. only hit number one for that long because Boys to Men and Mariah Carey were the biggest things since sliced bread in the '90s. Let's be honest. Okay, g- give your tw- give your Instagram and Twitter handle so they know wh- who to come after if they're pissed. At Et Bowser. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But seriously, um, I haven't listened to that song in 20 years, probably. It's just too sad, that, man. Are you that, kidding that me? That is a really sad song. Is it a classic, though, Tom? Yeah, I'll say it's a classic. I mean, when you get a collaboration of that star power, they made it work, they made a hit, you know, you got to say it's a classic. I, I mean, I, it, I, I just feel like it drags on for like three minutes too long. And the song's only five minutes long or something. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyways, uh, let's get into the play please. Tom, what do you have? Uh, I have one for myself, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm a little upset you didn't start this podcast about chicken wings like we always do. So whoever's listened to this podcast for the past few weeks, you've heard us talk about chicken and chicken wings and how to eat chicken. I even got made fun of by a guy from Australia about my eating chicken wings. So guys, I ate chicken wings last weekend. I sent Kyle and Ed a picture. I did my best efforts, and I still said it wasn't good enough. I, I might just give up chicken wings at this point. <laughs> I remember that photo. You ate one side of it and left the other side, like, <laughs> that was That was fatty meat, Cal. Uh, First of all, is, is would... the skin even edible? <laughs> is the skin even edible? What are you eating? You got to peel the skin away. You got to find the white meat on the bone and leave the rest behind. That's my analysis. I think you need to stick to chicken breasts because these yes. wings, it's, it's not cutting it for you. Facts. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would hope that you eat every part of a, of a chicken breast. Is this true? Oh, yeah. You don't leave any okay. behind of that. Okay. So it's just the wings. I'll, what about drumsticks? Wait, what's drumsticks? 
The leg. The leg? That No. Is there a bone involved? Oh, yeah. When there's a bone involved, it causes complications for me. So we're gonna move. No, we're thanks. gonna move on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. No. Uh, the next play of please, Tom. We have, uh, as you know, R. Kelly is right now uh, being kept in a jail. Uh, he's not convicted yet, but uh, he's being kept safe uh, without bond. But uh, he did ask if uh, they could provide him with a computer so he could finish his album. Kyle, I'm going to flip this on you real quick. Do you realize what it means to have one of the greatest artists of the John Rui support to have this happen to them? Like, to ha- to have a fall from grace and screw up like this and be a horrible person? Like, that sucks, man. Don't you realize that? Yeah, because it can actually be argued that the R in R&B actually stands for R. Kelly. So the fact that he's such a bad person and he's one of the best that this genre has to offer is just a... A tough blow for this freaking genre, man. I'm just yeah saying. between between him and uh, Chris Brown, this genre's uh, our, our reputation is not doing too good right now. Yeah, but as far as the laptop in jail, is that even a thing? Like, I never heard of that. That'd be kind of cool, but yeah. Wh- let me ask you this, Tom. This, in all of seriousness. If he does record his album in jail and puts it out, will you even bother listening to it? Because I know a lot of our readers have said, I'd be curious to see what he's talking about. It's probably going to be another version of, like, Trapped in the Closet or something, you know? It's not going to be a real art. Are we going to hear inmates howling in the background? Like, how could he even record it? Does he have pro audio devices to record in jail? This is crazy. You'll hear a guard yelling out, dinner is served. (laughs) What the hell? I mean, really? Hmm. I don't know. Man. Wait, didn't wait? Didn't Shine release an album in jail? The rapper? I think he did over the phone, like on like his one call of the month or whatever. He, it was weird. But I'll say this: it's it's interesting because when you posted about that, there's still people out there who support him. So we probably will never support him again, but there's still fans who have been willing to overlook it and will still support his music i just found that interesting i don't know if you saw that tom you're talking about 20 or 30 years of loyalty that's not just gonna go away yeah with all those memories and all those hits that's not gonna go away but all right maybe we'll see an r kelly album next year we'll see um and then tom the last player please I don't know how you feel about this, but it's kind of related here. Uh, well, I was going to first mention this Bow Wow and Sierra thing, but that's just dumb. Shame oh. on you, Bow Wow. Uh, but the play what of things is going to be... Yeah, that's... And we love Sierra, so we're not going to let any Sierra slander happen. Um, but the VMA <laughs> Awards... <laughs> come on, we love Sierra. Uh, the VMA Awards are set to come, I think, maybe next month, if I remember correctly. And as you know, Tom, they always award an artist with the Vanguard Award, which is like to celebrate their achievements and their, their accomplishments, um, you know, and, and, and highlight all their work that they've done throughout their career. Uh, Justin Timberlake's had it. Uh, who else has had it? A handful of Britney Spears, I think. But going to rename the award or the, they're rumored to rename the uh, award. It used to be called the Michael Jackson Vanguard Award. They're just going to rename that to Vanguard Award because of Michael Jackson's allegations. Hmm. That's 
Wow. You know what? We I guess we have to be consistent, right? If it's R. Kelly, then it's also Michael, or is it different? We're not going to get into that without Ed here. I can't even touch on that yeah, right now. You're right. I you know what? And to be fair, I don't think Michael Jackson has ever. There's been no evidence, hard evidence of that ever happening. So I'm not going to speak on a dead I, man either. So I'm going to leave that one. I'm alone. just I'm just surprised there's still a um a video music awards. Like who's even putting out videos? Like who plays videos anymore? It's crazy. That's true. Although Chris Brown and Drake put out a new music video recently, and people seem to love that. That has six million views in like three days. Oh, impressive! People love. Drake. Can I do a quick? Real quick, I want to do a soul backtrack of the day myself. All right. You'll be shocked at this. I, I was in the store today. I heard a Lloyd song being played. Which? Name, th- name three Lloyd songs you think would be, have been played. What's, wait, what store was this, though? Uh, it was like a beauty care store. All right. I'll give you a hint. The song was, was released in the past. It was on his last album. I'll give you that hint. It was on his last album? Yep. Uh, the Caramel song? Yeah. What? How would you know that? It's a single. That was a single? Yeah. Really? Is there a video? Yeah. Did we post a video? Yeah. Wait a second. Did he have the remix with City Girls? Yes, he did. Oh, that's why it must have blocked out of my memory. All right, moving on. <laughs> I was just surprised to hear the original. All right. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Of all uh, things. <laughs> Shout outs to my boy Lloyd. We'll get him on the podcast too. But Tom, that seems to be it for this week's podcast. What's going on with you know I got soul? Um, you know we're we're starting to uh, transcribe some of these podcasts for people who can't listen. So we'll we'll take some of the you know the best bits that the artists share with us or in the interview portion. We'll uh, transcribe it so you can read that, check that out. You know that's a pretty cool thing. Just trying to stay ahead, man. It's tough right now for R and B. You know a lot of the music we post and discover is from Instagram. A lot of these artists don't even have publicists anymore, so we're trying to our best to keep up. Um, it's been it's it's tough. It's tough right now, so you know we'll we'll keep doing our best. I'm out of the show game, though. I mean, you probably haven't noticed any show, uh, event recaps on the site. What about you, Kyle? Any shows coming up? Uh, I got a couple coming up at the end of August. I think I've got Montel Jordan, TLC, Bobby Brown. There's a couple that I have in the works, and uh, well, hopefully we'll get interviews with these people. Let me ask you, which of those people can you wave at, and which can't you wave at? Oh, you definitely can't wave at Chili and T-Boz. That's, that's a definite <laughs> no. Uh, I think Montel will be cool. Bobby Brown, is uh, that's 50-50. But I would love to talk to Bobby Brown. That guy, is he a legend, Tom? Oh, absolutely. He was Usher before Usher, man. So there you go. We got to talk to Bobby Brown. And then in terms of uh, on my end, aside from the shows, um, someone did try to, they offered to buy out our website, and then I think he made an extreme demand, so we won't be getting that R&B money anymore, Tom. Uh, and then along <laughs> with that, <laughs> um, on Ed's site on So In Stereo, he posted a couple of things, uh, including a love letter, which is very interesting. You know how I love, you know how much I love those, so guys, go check out Ed's So In Stereo page as well, and Tom, I guess that's it. 
And shout out to that uh, listener who said, um, I was hoping Ed was going to show up for this episode, and unfortunately he did not show up. You know, we love when Ed is here, but we do our best to hold it down when he's not here, right, Kyle? Listen, Tom, Ed works for the government. That's all you need to know. He's busy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, Tom, I think that's it for this week's. We'll chat next week, and shout outs once again to Salam Remy. Peace.